0: The, the top three, uh, and it is because of what it says. It's not because I like the uh, the poetry or the um, the meter, or uh, it is. There is something contained in verse fourteen. Unfortunately, uh, I know you don't aren't able to be here every Wednesday night, but there is a statement made in here that is really somewhat of a summation. Of his argument, it's certainly piece, the the final piece of refutation against this this monstrous charge that was leveled at him in verse one about what him what he taught would uh, produce a situation where sin would abound. That is, that if grace is if what Paul was teaching was correct, then let's just sin it up. Well, this is the last uh, piece of refutation in response to such a a wicked charge made against him. Let me just read it to you. It is verse 14. <clears throat> uh, I, it's, it's not really wise to isolate it from the rest of the uh, 13 verses, but we have to in the way that we, uh, we study. I, I can say to you, um, you pray that I'm able to convey this properly because I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, nothing will be more precious to your soul than what is contained here if I can, by His grace, communicate it to, to you properly. And, and clearly, it is the richest, the richest of all statements um, to the Christian. Uh, it says simply, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now, what I want to do for a second is I want to change uh, this a little bit, by no means suggesting that I'm improving it. I'm simply doing this for sake of understanding. Uh, when the Holy Spirit wrote it, He wrote it uh, in perfection. I am, I'm simply saying that for our understanding, I'm going to kind of modify it a bit in an effort to help us understand it. I'll read it to you again. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Now, if I could read it differently, I'd like to start with the second half and and i'd like to substitute a word in fact some of your translations will have this word instead of finding the word for i want to say, and and it's it's uh, it's etymologically possible i mean it is it's very fair to the greek word to substitute the word because some of your translations might have because but if i could read it like this because you are not under law but under grace sin shall not have dominion over you now, that is the sense of this text, and, and my, my task is to try and make that clear uh, in a way that you can drink from the richness of this text. This text is unlike verses 12 and 13. Verses 12 and 13 were commands. Uh, that is, remember, or you might remember, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Those were both statements in the imperative. Um, the, verse fourteen is not an imperative. It is not even an exhortation. It is not even a statement of consequences. As if Paul said something like this: "That is, if you will do what I tell you in verses twelve and thirteen, then verse fourteen will be true of you." It is not that. It is not a command. It is not an exhortation. It is an. In, it is a statement of the indicative. It is a statement of fact. That's very, that's very important that you get that. It is a piece of encouragement. It is a piece of encouragement to do what Paul has already commanded us to do in verses 12 and 13. He commands us to do some things in verses 12 and 13 and then gives us reasons For carrying out those commands contained in verses twelve and thirteen, he gives us a grand piece of encouragement in verse in verse fourteen. It is a statement that is verse fourteen is a statement of an assured fact. It is not an imperative, nor is it a description of a future blessing. It is a it is an indicative. It is an indicative statement which means. That the fact so confidently stated—that is, sin shall not have dominion over you—that that 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 confident statement is made valid and relevant by the statement that he makes in, or the last half of the statement that he makes in verse 14, and then by so doing or stating what he states, he provides the encouragement and the incentive to perform the commands that he has issued us in verses 12 and 13. I hope you got that much down. That is, this is not a command. It is a, it is a, it is a confident statement of fact. Now, there are two halves to the verse. Both halves start with the conjunction for. Um, for, sin shall not have dominion over you. For, you are not under law, but under grace. I'm suggesting that it is more easily understood if you start with the second half. because Because you are not under law, but under grace, sin will not have dominion over you. Now guys, we have to understand that the the key terms here, there's a couple of them, but uh, this this prepositional phrase under law but under grace. You've got to understand this issue of under law. He is saying that is not true of you. Now guys, this is not a reference to the 10 commandments as if he were saying you as Christians are not under the Ten Commandments. That is not what Paul has in mind. He is describing law as a system. He is describing law as a salvation system, as a, as a means by which we justify ourselves, or law as a principle. Now, to, to, to try and make things as clear as I can, I, I, I want to somewhat take an aside here to go, go down a side road, to tell you some things that law cannot do and some things that law can do. First of all, let me tell you some things that law can do. First of all, it can demand. It can command. As law, it can to make demands of us. Secondly, it can pronounce blessing and approval uh, of... Conformity to its demands. Uh, It can pronounce condemnation upon every infraction of its demands. Uh, It can expose and uh, convict of sin. And in chapter 7, we're later going to learn that law can even excite or incite uh, sin and further aggravations or more serious aggravations of sin. It can do all of those things. But let me tell you what, what, what law cannot do. Law, number one, can do nothing to justify people who violate it. Secondly, it can do nothing to relieve the bondage of sin. It can only accentuate and confirm that bondage. But it can do nothing to relieve you of the bondage of law. Now guys, the the reason I, I take that time to do that is because it's very important that you understand what Paul means when he says, you are not under law. You are not under law as a system of saving. You are not under law as a system of in any way relieving the bondage of your guilt and shame. The person, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, every non-Christian you know is right now living under law. But the person who lives under law, upon whom uh, only law has been brought to bear whose life is being determined by the resources of law, is the bondservant of law. Guys, it's imperative that you understand what living under the law can do to you. Because everything that you have, that you identify as some kind of um, identity factor other than my union with Christ, brings oppression. Gang, everything in my life that makes me anxious or um, angry or afraid or insecure comes, all of those things come because I look at something and say, "If if I don't have that... Or do that, I'm not valuable nor lovable. Ladies and gentlemen, anything that you have to have beyond Jesus Christ rules you. And that is descriptive of someone under law. I could name you for the rest of the night. Things that you and I have identified as necessary to be happy apart from my union with Christ. And I say to you, that is the remnants of living under law. For instance, you're a mother and it is, it is absolutely essential to you that your children turn out well. And if they don't turn out well, then you, you have a, the, 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 the life-controlling fear that your value is thus diminished. That, ladies and gentlemen, is identifying something in addition to your union with Christ that you have identified as necessary to make you happy. It is all a system A system that says that if I am ever to be valuable, if I am ever to be worth anything, if I am ever to have any sense of value at all, I'm going to have to have that. Whatever that thing is. Um, And you become its slave. Whatever it is. Anything, ladies and gentlemen, that you have, that you say, if I don't have that, I will, I will never be considered worth anything. That, ladies and gentlemen, is, is living under the remnants of law. Because law is always saying that the only way that you can ever really justify yourself, make yourself uh, to have any worth is to perform in a way that would render you valuable. Paul is saying that you are not under law as a system of self justification um, and and once we recognize that we are not Under law, then, ladies and gentlemen, the possibilities multiply in terms of our own victory over sin. Gang, one of the reasons that Paul introduces this law thing is that because it is one of the most basic problems that Christians struggle with. Um, It's the the thing that brings more depression, more discouragement, more failure, more self-condemnation than anything else. Because the law says that unless I live up to a particular standard, or unless I I do things in a certain way, God will not have anything to do with me. And I'm telling you, we have been so influenced by that idea that when we sin, even as believers, we think that God is somehow angry, and that we have that we have failed in such a way that we have no value, and, the, and that there's been this enormous distance that has been placed between us and our relationship. On oh, no, and no, on no, no, and on we go. But Paul is saying, that is not true. You as the child of God do not live under that. You live under grace. Guys, once you get that down, that makes us or gives us the opportunity to be free from the mastery of sin in us. It's only as we break away from this this works righteousness system that the power of sin is really broken over us. Gang, um, Paul is saying that sin will not have dominion over you. Statement of fact. Why? Because you don't live under that as a Christian. You live under a system where everything that is demanded is provided. Everything that is required of God is provided by God. Everything that God provides is the object of promise. Um, that our that our struggle against sin is not a hopeless struggle, ladies and gentlemen, of losing and constantly losing, because uh, we're not engaged in a hopeless battle, but we are we are in one where victory has been assured us by what Christ has done for us. We are under a system. Of gratuitous justification, not some works righteousness. You, my friend, if I'm if, if may I be the first to inform you, if you have committed yourself to Jesus Christ, you are not under law. You are under grace. And because of that, Sin will not have dominion over you. Guys, I I hope I'm not misunderstood because I am, in in a lot of ways, I'm I'm a fan of 12-step programs, Alcoholics Anonymous, and and, uh, all the ones that have risen up Patterned after AA. I'm a fan in one sense. But I am saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, that ultimately, the only way that we get beyond the dominion of sin is the recognition and the freedom that comes from realizing, I do not live under law. I live. Under grace. Gang, we are, because of Christ Jesus, righteous in His sight, and, and if we remember our, the, that fact and that we are eternally loved, then the motives for our sin will be undermined and sapped. Let, let me try to give that some life. Individual sins have individual sinful motivations. <coughs> Pardon me, sinful motivations. When, If you were to ask yourself, why is it that, that I am moved toward a particular sin? I think you'll discover that one of the reasons that you'll find is that we are still seeking to find our sense of justification, our sense of identity, our sense of worthiness, our sense of worth in that sin. In, in, in whatever it is, in something besides pursuing Jesus Christ. So if we remember that we are completely loved, completely delivered, completely righteous in Christ, that undermines our and, and the motives that drives us into sin. I do not have to find my worth that way. I do not live in this system that establishes its worth. Through some kind of vain performance. I live under a system of gratuitous justification whereby I have been given everything that's required. That I have been, it has been communicated that I am constantly and eternally and forever loved. And that even my sin will not separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now gang, therein lies a principle of sanctification that is utterly imperative for you to understand. What is it that is the primary driving focus to holy living? It is secure. that you are everlastingly safe. You know, if if that is what God has done in the life of the individual believer, how could anyone suggest that the result of preaching something like that will cause people to sin more? Gang, it's the realization of that truth that constitutes the greatest incentive, the greatest motive to holy living. And, and, and I will show it to you. Um, if you've got your Bibles, find John 13 real, uh, real fast. Because I've got two quick things to do. John 13, verses 1, uh, real quick. Beginning of verse one now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come that he should depart from this world to the father having loved his own um, Who were in the world? He loved them to the end and supper being ended the devil having entered and put into the heart of Judas Iscariot Simon's son to betray him Jesus Knowing that the father had given all things into his hands And that he had come from God and he was going to God rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself and he washes his feet, etc., etc., etc. Now guys, 13 people entered that room that night. There was a basin, there was a towel and a little desk over at the side and everyone in that room knew what that basin and that towel was there for. But none of them grabbed it. Nobody washed anybody's feet except the Son of Man. And I want you to note what is said in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and washed feet. What I'm suggesting is the greatest incentive, the greatest motive to holy living is the consciousness of knowing who I am and where I'm going. It is that sense of security that impels me and compels me. Far more than any sense of oughtness, any sense of duty, any sense of... You know, guys, I I am so tired of hearing sermons about giving and telling people that if you give, you'll get money back. That's foolishness. That is nothing more than an investment strategy. And I hope you noticed that when I came to you in late September, I simply told you. Go to Jesus. Because I'm saying to you, ladies and gentlemen, that the knowledge that I am not living under law and the demands of its performance, that I live under grace, and because I am living under grace, sin will not have mastery over me. It cannot. God will not allow it. Because I am in union with Christ. I say this and I'll, I'll quit. <clears throat> you know, we live in a world of constant flux. Uh, all of our feet are firmly planted in midair. Um, I remember, you know, the, I, I loved the movie. I still love the movie. I watch it every now and then again. Gone with the wind. And, you know, the the famous lines that that, uh, that good little Christians are not allowed to quote. <laughs> Um, but I quote him all the um, time. But, but anyway, one of the things that that um, that Scarlett does that was so so full of impact to me is that Scarlett could never quite get over the fact that life was not going to return to the days of pre-Civil War. That was the thing that controlled her, and and so wounded her, and she kept trying to restore Tara back to the, her uh, pre-war days. And, it, and, it was, and you know, she worked so hard and she was out in the field and she, because she was trying to restore Terran and her father lost his mind. And all that business, it was, it was just too much for her that, that change had overtaken them. That's a compelling thought. At least it was to me. Add to that a couple other things. When I did singles at, at Central, some of my fondest, memories in terms of the ministry and but i remember we had a we had a retreat at um the red apple over in hebrew springs you ever been to the red apple y'all know where the red apple is and there was a girl that went with us a woman who went with us and uh, i remember absolutely wanting to take this child home with me and put her in my fourth bedroom and take care of her she uh, in the midst of the retreat she came to me and she said um um i've been to the red apple before my husband and I came here on our honeymoon. And now she was there at the Red Apple on a singles retreat. She said, Never did I believe. Never would I have been never would you have convinced me that I would be coming to the Red Apple as a single. Then another story that they all stick in my mind in terms of the the, the cruelty of things changing so radically. A young woman who had one child, she was she was fairly young, and I remember she came to me came to my office and she was just she was I don't even know what to call her. She was uh, she was dazed. She was just living she had been married, she had recently been divorced, and she was at that time waiting on tables at Houston's. Excuse me, at Shoney's. It'd be nice if it was Houston. Waiting on tables at Shoney's, and she was sitting in my office and, and the change had so swept over her that she was living in a was like she was walking around in a bowl of Jello. You just she didn't. Know, she she couldn't get her bearings because her life wasn't supposed to be this. That's what Kara thought. I mean, that's what Scarlett thought. That's what this other woman in the Red Apple. Her name was Lynn. And and uh, that's what this woman thought. They, they, change had so destroyed what they knew that that they were. Living lives of complete imbalance. I say all of that to say this. One of the most beautiful features of being a Christian, ladies and gentlemen, is the dimension of safety and security. Now, I'm not saying your circumstances are not going to change. What I am saying is your position in Christ is not going to change even if you blow it tomorrow, and I hope you don't. God forbid that you should hear me saying it's okay to blow it. I didn't say that. But I'm saying that because, and by the way, if you blow it, you know what? You'll get out of it. I know you will. Because this text says you will. It says sin will not have dominion over you because you don't live under law. You live under the marvelously glorious provisions of grace which makes your position and posture absolutely unchangeable. You are safe. And in response to knowing that everything that He demands, He provides, that I live under a system of utter gratuitous justification, that is the motive that Paul leaves us to go obey, verses 12 and 13. Do not present your members as to unrighteousness. Sin won't have dominion over you under grace, not under law. Nothing is more essential, nothing is more central to the whole concept of sanctification than that truth in 6.14. I hope you understand at least a little of what I've said. Let's quit. Our Father, I do pray that you will uh, make up for all of my grand deficiencies in communicating this glorious piece of truth it is it is one that boggles the mind that though in temporary periods of failure sin will still never have dominion over me and realizing that oh god that i don't have to live under law and performance and and making myself valuable and lovable before You, realizing that I am safe and secure in the provisions of Christ and that I am fully justified and loved right now, that is the thing that snips the power of sin in my life. Might your people be able to leave here with a greater sense of knowing that they'll never have to earn your favor or even attempt to again because we're out from underneath that cruel bondage of law and we live under the glorious provisions of free and rich And sovereign grace. Father, allow your people to feast on that truth. For Jesus' sake, amen.